listening to Business Lunch with Roland Frazier. This is your seat at the table. Welcome to Business Lunch. This is Darren Clark, the producer of the show. And today we have Paul Lemberg as our guest with Roland Frazier. Paul helps entrepreneurs become wealthy. Sounds good, right? But what he doesn't mention in this conversation is that Paul started his first company with a partner and $3,000 of credit card debt. And it sold three years later for just under $9 million. Since then, Paul has consulted with Fortune 100 companies like Adobe, IBM, and Goldman Sachs. But his true passion is helping small business owners and CEOs double and triple their profits. So in this episode, Roland and Paul talk about Roland's favorite subject, acquisitions. So listen as Paul gives tips and a great insight on this matter. So if you love the show, remember to follow or subscribe wherever you're listening. And remember, if you want to dig deeper and go further with Roland, especially on the subject of buying and selling businesses, head over to our website, businesslunchpodcast.com forward slash epic, E-P-I-C, to check out Roland's five-day epic challenge. All right, let's get started. Hi, everybody. Roland, thanks for having me, and this is fun. I'll give you a quick bio. I went to art school and got out of art school and realized that I just wasn't a good enough artist to start for the rest of my life. And I had no idea what to do next. And there was this thought at the time that people who are artists and musicians, I'm a musician, artists and musicians make great programmers. This was the thinking uh, back in the late seventies. So I ended up being a programmer. I jumped out of the corporate world after a couple of years. I realized I was never gonna get to run General Electric. So I ended up starting a software company. And as most software companies start, I was doing consulting. I ended up consulting for a lot of banks and somewhere along the way started writing software for those banks. And um, my clients ran some of the largest banks in the world. My, my business was automating European and Asian banks, foreign branch networks. So this was a very simple, uh, kind of low transaction volume, very high complexity. And I got skill in uh, understanding international banking and understanding how to figure out what people were up to, right? I, I don't know if you've had this experience, but people who really know their businesses are usually terrible at explaining it. And so when they have a problem, they, they can't really tell you what it is because they just figure everybody should understand this stuff. So I got good at translating. And I get it. I got good at understanding what their trading problems were and their financial problems were and what their problems with their portfolios were and got good at communicating. This is probably like the, the best skill I have, which is communicating with the upper echelon of anything and getting them to understand really complicated stuff without making them feel stupid for not understanding it before. And that's that's a big thing in, in its day. And I don't think it's changed at all. Technology people like to flaunt their depth of understanding with people who are running big companies because they go like, wow, I have something over on them. Right. So there's an art to getting people to understand things without having them feel like they were less than before they understood them. So I made my career doing that sold my first software company, started another one, ultimately flipped that to a large German bank and realized that there were other things in the world besides writing software. I moved into strategy and I did strategic consulting and market research for some of the largest technology firms in the US. Did that for a few years. 
it was a job. It was incredibly rewarding. It paid well. I traveled all over. I was dealing with smart people and it had everything except I was like, oh, I don't really care about these companies. I found out that you could help Cisco make an extra $100 million or help IBM save a half a billion. And nobody really cared. And, you know, like nobody's life was transformed from it. And I had this epiphany one day that my people were entrepreneurs and that I had amassed a skill set that might be valuable. And in the mid 90s, I kind of I, I started doing business coaching. It didn't really exist at the time. And I just it was like the perfect thing. So I've been consulting with entrepreneurs, small businesses, startups in kind of every shape and form since the middle 90s. I, my focus is growth. I mean, it's probably every focus. If you look at it, it's like every consultant focuses on growth some way or another, but I don't really care about personnel problems. I don't really do that much about tax problems. There's a lot of things I don't know how to do, but what I'm good at is figuring out how to enhance the revenue side of a business. I don't really, I walk into clients and I tell them, I don't really care about your expense lines. It's of no interest to me at all, unless you're going broke. And if you're going broke, you probably can't afford me. But if you've managed to hire me, yeah, okay, we can look at your expenses because we've got to keep you going long enough to help you make money. But my focus is strictly on the revenue side, whether it's marketing, whether it's sales, whether it's products, pricing, packaging. Those are the things that I uh, have built my work on. And it's the thing I help most people with. Uh, Somewhere along the way, I started doing M&A work. And I've written a lot of PPMs. I worked with a couple of investment banks who uh, would send me their clients when they weren't big enough. And then we flipped that around and I started consulting on, because uh, the real issue in selling a business, the real issue in buying a business is not that we want to buy it or we want to sell it and not how much revenue there is, but what the multiple is. And if you can negotiate the multiple, you can negotiate the value of that company, either up or down, depending on which side of the house that you're on. And so I got really good at negotiating what the multiple should be, you know, based on the industry, but more based on the velocity and the trajectory, what the period to payback is going to be and things like that. So a lot of people approach acquisition as if the money were the most important thing. And for some people it is. But for a lot of business owners who put their life's work into this thing that you're now trying to buy, they have a great concern that the business will be taken care of. And I know that sounds weird because a lot of us, especially if you're new at acquisition, you think, well, who cares? They just want the money and then they're out. It's just not true. The money is great, but their legacy matters for many people just as much. So they don't wanna sell their business to somebody who they believe is gonna screw it up. And if you haven't proven that you know how to take care of their business, then the presumption is you're gonna screw it up because you don't understand. You know, everybody has this sense, this is important. Everybody has this sense that what they're doing is special. Everybody, <laughs> everybody thinks what they do is special. And you know what, it might not be that special. Businesses, all businesses are more alike than they are different. And any two businesses which are manufacturing businesses are much more alike than they are different. Any two service businesses are much more alike than they are different. So the, the seller 
thinks that what they've got is is unique and special. I, ideally, you do too. That's why you're buying it. But you need to demonstrate to the the seller that you're going to take care of the thing. So you asked me like, what's the most important thing to focus on, or what business you should focus on? I'd say the ones where you have an edge where you have an experience edge. So here's what exists on a spectrum. It's how did you meet somebody and what was your intention when you walked in the door? So if your intention when you walked in the door was to acquire them, I'm a really transparent guy. I don't believe in subterfuge. I don't believe in strategizing in my conversations. I'm very straightforward. So if I'm looking to buy somebody, then that should be my pitch. If I'm looking to develop relationships, then coming in as a growth expert is a good way to do that. If I'm trying to find businesses to buy, that's another marketing campaign. I'm treating that as a marketing campaign. So the message of my marketing campaign should be on point. Uh, similarly, if I'm looking for growth clients, then that's what I market. So it, it really depends It depends upon what your intention is when you're walking in the door. Either of those strategies work. So you might be walking in the door for an acquisition, and that was your stated intention, but y'all can't get together on it, or maybe the value is just simply not there. You know, if you think about it from a seller's perspective, so the seller has the possibility of selling to you now. Um, I don't know, let's put some numbers on it just to make it easy to talk about. Let's say it's a small business, it's worth a million dollars, and everybody agrees that the thing is worth a million dollars now, and you're offering a million bucks. And the owner could say, okay, I, I'll, I'll take the million because I want to take my cash off the table. But the owner says, no, you know, I can take the million. And then what can I do? Well, I can invest it in the markets. And maybe, you know, the average growth in the stock markets, in the equity markets is 7%. It's been 7% since before everyone on this has been alive. And it's just 7% compounded kind of like forever. So I could take that million and I could invest it for a year and now have, you know, a million and 70,000 roughly plus or minus, or maybe it's an amazing year and I could do, have 1,250, you know, like something astounding could happen. Or I could roll it into Bitcoin and it could, you know, 10x my money. Oh, but I could lose everything. Uh, maybe not everything, but it could drop a lot too, right? So if I, if I take that million you've given me, and I invest it anywhere else, I could get some growth. But let's say I, instead of taking your million now, I spend a year and I use, uh, oh, like my Formula 5, which could double their business. It's not hard to double your business with a good model. So instead of taking your money, I can keep it in my business for a year. And now my business is worth $2 million. And, and maybe, oh, I keep it for another year and I'm really working this thing and I get it to 3 million or 4 million. There's no other way I can get any other kind of return like that. It doesn't exist anywhere. So if somebody believes in their business, then they just want to hang on and grow it for as long as they can until they don't want to do that anymore. So I might be marketing acquisitions and I walk in the door with the intention of an acquisition, if it, if it makes sense. But the owner says, yeah, nah, yeah, I thought about it. I should hold on. So if I got growth skills, I could say, all right, well, let's do a deal. And now I can position a deal that way. I can flip that around completely is that I walked in as a growth analyst and with offers of growing a business and the owner says, yeah, all well, that sounds really great, but I, I want to take my cash out now. So you flip. All right. So it's all about 
it's all about, I find that the acquisition, the primary, the primary idea is what does the owner want and why? And so many times we don't do that. You know, we're in a negotiation and it's all about price, but the owner, oh, the owner's not really worried about the price. They're worried about the stream of payments or they're worried about handling something in the future. So all of those things come into play. And I walk in the door as a consultant. I'm never really sure what somebody wants, but I'm flexible about it. So look, there are cash flow buyers. You know, if you separate them into, say, strategic buyers and financial buyers. So there's cash flow buyers and they don't care what the business is, as long as it's something they have a, like a, a basic understanding of, you know, not a not a big spectrum, but they have a basic understanding. They know how to run it. OK, they've never been in manufacturing and they're a services business kind of guy. Stay away from that manufacturing. I spent a year, three years ago. Uh, as it, I spent part of, well, I spent the whole year, but part of my time helping a friend of mine grow a supplements company. I, I stepped in as CEO. I know a lot about supplements, but I've never run a manufacturing business before. I've never, in my whole life, I've never had to be responsible for inventory. I've never had to be responsible for logistics. Oh my God, it's a freaking nightmare. It's like, I, I don't, I don't like bits. You know, they say bit, they say bits versus atoms, right? I like bits and I hate atoms. It's like, oh my God, wait a minute. What are we talking about here? We have to ship this stuff? It's like, seriously, it wasn't my expertise. So, so it's like if I'm on the services side, I don't want to step into a company that's a manufacturing company. I mean, me personally, I hate inventory. So it's like, why is this slowing me down? You know, I can't get this one part. Right now I was reading, I was reading something this morning about if you're planning a trip, you should, uh, you need to make sure that you got your rental car first because there's a chip shortage that's holding up the car manufacturers from delivering fleets to the rental cars and us, like, all we want to do is travel now. It's like, okay, things are opening up. I want to go. It's like, oh, we're going to Boulder in a couple of weeks. We don't have a car. Now I have to go check. So if you don't understand that business, don't buy that business. Go somewhere else. There's a lot of opportunity. Lots and lots and lots of opportunity. And your life will be much easier to the degree that you understand the underlying. So Ben Graham. Uh, some of you know who Ben Graham was. Ben Graham was the investor who, who is the kind of core idea behind all of Warren Buffett's thinking. I mean, this guy codified value investing. And he transferred his knowledge to Peter Lynch and to Warren Buffett and people like that. And Lynch wrote a book, can't remember the name of it, read it when it came out. And the gist of Lynch's book was invest in what you know. That's it. So if you understand the underlying business, you can make money as an investor. And if you don't understand the underlying business, what's likely to happen, unless you make money because of a trend that's happening that has nothing to do with you, you know, rising tide lifts all boats. If you don't understand the business, you have no idea whether that business is going to make money in the future or not. And I would say the same applies, you know, in stock picking applies in acquisition targets. It's like, stick with what you know. Big deal. Big, big, big deal. So I would argue that SEO, 
social media, which is really SEO at this point, um, you know, including YouTube, including Facebook, including everything you can think of, is a great way to start a business. And I would further argue that it can't compare to paid traffic. Paid traffic is paid traffic is the only thing that you can actually scale. It's the only thing that you can actually maintain control of from now until the end of time. That doesn't mean that the terms of service will cha won't change. That doesn't mean that Google won't flip the script on you and completely blow you out of your business or and that Facebook will do the same. And that I can't even tell you what the next great place to put your ads is going to be. But that mastering the paid traffic side of the business will lead to incredible growth. It's the only place where you could say, I'm going to double my traffic from and be able to do it. So that's the first thing I'd say is that get turn the focus back onto how do we make the paid traffic side of the business more powerful than the free side of the business. Yeah. And if you can do that, you can grow the business, I'm going to say fundamentally without limit, just from that alone. Most people don't. Most people are, I think the word might be terrified of the whole idea of buying someone else's company uh, as a way to grow their business. So don't expect other people to understand it. So I'll tell you a tiny story about, so the way I launched this business, I had no experience doing anything like what I set out to do, which was coach business on it. And uh, the thing didn't even really exist at the time. I had been a consultant for giant technology companies. So, and, and I understood banking. So, I, so what I did was I made a list of everyone in my orbit who I thought trusted me. That was all I was looking for. I was looking for people who trusted me. So I, and then I, I sent out an email and the, the basic pitch email. I think I was faxed, phone. I basically reached the people how I could reach them. And my basic pitch was, I'm starting this new thing. I'm helping small business owners grow. And there was some yada yada in there. But it was like, I'm helping people do this. This is the payoff for them if you know anyone. So it was really clear that I wasn't pitching them. But if you know anybody who might be able to benefit from this, I'd love to be able to talk to them. Please give me a call. And that was it. And that's how I started my business. And it was, you know, I got a few clients. And then, by the way, as soon as you have a, a transaction under your belt, you can talk about that one transaction. Never say anything that's not true, but it might sound like you've sold 10 companies or bought 10 companies already because of, there was this aspect of it. And I helped this client do this. And then in that transaction, we did that. And it's like, well, are those two things or are they one thing? And so once you get the first one, you're home free. But the thing that I would position, particularly if you're looking for people to recommend other people to you, is focus on the payoff. That's really it. I'm helping people who are looking to get out of their business. I'm looking people who want a liquidity event. I'm looking for people who have decided it's time to sell. I'm looking any of those kinds of words. I'd focus on that. You know, I've been doing this quietly. And, and I would say that because if they go and look for you and they don't find that Nicole Holland has done any transaction, you haven't put that on your on your resume, what businesses you bought or sold or anything else. It's like you're doing this quietly. 
We're doing this discreetly. I'm reaching out to people who I've had experience with, who trust me and know the kind of value that I bring. I would underscore that. Who know the kind of value that I bring, who know I operate with integrity. The, you know, the words that, because if you're going to make a recommendation for somebody, you don't want your own reputation tarnished as a result. This is the big reason when people don't make recommendations. That's why. It's real simple. They don't want to get tarnished by you doing whatever bad things you did to the person they recommended. So I would emphasize your previous relationship. I would, and I would emphasize what the benefit of the conversation is. And I emphasize the benefit of a successful conversation, which is that all of a sudden people fulfilled their life's dreams. You know, people buy property all the time, whether it's, um, you know, companies or real assets, real estate, and and they go, well, yeah, it's yeah, it's stop performing well, but the price is great, and I'll be able to flip it. So when I was buying homes for myself, and and every time I bought a home for myself, you look at the things which are the noticeables, like what is it about this place that makes me not want it. And then you say, oh, yeah, but I can fix that and, you know, and then flip it. So the thing is, if you noticed something wrong and you don't completely fix it, the next person is going to notice the same thing. Now, maybe they're not as smart as you, but I always assume that the next buyer is probably as smart as I am. And whatever thing I saw that was wrong that I chose to overlook, if it's still there, the next person is going to buy it. Or, or is going to see that. So, so I have this business and yeah, the margins aren't great. And the fixed expenses are a little high, but I can buy it cheaply because of that. And then I can just flip it to somebody else. That's never going to work because somebody else comes along and they have the same, they see the same flaws. On the other hand, if you say, well, I can remedy that flaw and I can remedy that flaw and I can remedy that flaw and you can get it at a great price because you've negotiated down because of those flaws, which you know now, now know how to fix, then you're going to be in great shape. But if you can't check all those boxes, this is not the deal for you. So I'm going to say something about sunk costs. Sunk costs are a really important idea. Sunk costs are money that you spent in the past, period. That's it. Those are your sunk costs. So what happens to a lot of people in a deal? So the deal takes time and it stretches out and circumstances change and it's no longer as good as you thought it was, but it's still kind of okay, but you should probably walk away. Except you go, yeah, but I put in the past year working on this thing. I want to make it work. That's the wrong thinking. Anytime you hear yourself saying, but I've got this much invested, money that you put in, time that you've put in, heartbreak that you've put in, whatever it is. And, and it's all those things keep you going in the deal, whatever the deal is. It could be, by the way, your job. It could be your existing business. It could be a negotiation. It could be anything. But those things keep you in, even when common sense is time to get out. So the simple question is, if I were starting today from scratch, would I be interested? And if the answer is no, probably not, walk away. Sunk costs should always be compared to, would I make the same decision if I were starting today? And a, a lot of times people are doing what they're doing. I did this in my marriage. I was like, I had a lot of time in 
to my second marriage and I um I didn't want to walk away from it in large part simply because of all the time I'd had in and at one point I was like yeah but I wouldn't start this all over again and that had me walk away so it's really it, it, it's really that question is really important so if you look at a business and you say this was shown to me today, would I be interested? And you peek under the hood a little bit and you look at the numbers and you go, no, then walk away. That's hard, by the way. That goes against human nature. Human nature says, I got all this time and I got to make this work. In Western society, we are taught that follow through matters. And of course, follow through does matter. But just because you put the time in doesn't make the thing better. This this part about if you can't make the numbers be what you want them to be, you know that the margins are too low and you can't figure out how to increase them, or you know that the fixed costs are too high and you can't really figure out how to decrease them. You know, if I'm walking into a transaction, I'm like, okay, this is off here, but I know five different ways I can fix it. I don't have to worry about that thing. I know I can fix it. It's just now it's just a negotiating point for me to get the price down. But if I look at a problem in the business, I go, Gee, I don't know. It looks like they're doing the right thing and I'm not sure what would make it better. That's not a deal for you. You've been listening to Business Lunch with Roland Frazier. If you're enjoying the show, let us know by subscribing and leaving a review. And for more information, go to businesslunchpodcast.com. Thank you for listening. What if three days could change the course of your business in 2023? Get Scalable Live is where you'll gain great clarity on the next steps that will help you create the business, life, and wealth you deserve. Connect with business owners and entrepreneurs just like you, hungry for advice, proven strategies, and necessary connections to grow a business. Literally, million-dollar conversations are happening in the hallways, in the bathrooms, across tables. Get Scalable Live at Fairmont Austin, November 2nd through 4th. Tickets are on sale now at GetScalableLive.com.